I'm sick and tired of living in this small house. You need to make more money so we can get a decent place to live. I'll sneak out and meet you around midnight. My parents are clueless, and they'll never know. As long as you live under this roof, you'll do what I say. I don't care what you say. You can't stop me from going to the party. I saw you checking her out. I was just looking at the brand of her jeans. I thought they might look good on you. All right, who's going to pray this time? Me. Dear Jesus, thank you for all the ways you blessed our family. Let me ask you this question. How many of you this morning, by raising your hands, you'd say, I want my home and family to be blessed? Would you raise your hand? Awesome. Okay, if your hand is not up, do you want your family to be cursed? Is that what you're telling? No, of course not. We want our families uh, to be blessed. And if you want your family, your home, your life to be blessed, and you're in the right place for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about bless this home. We're going to learn from Jesus himself, some words he gave us, how to be blessed, how to have a blessed life, a blessed home. Uh, But I think when you hear people talk today about most families, blessed is not always the first word you tend to hear. A lot of times you hear things like, man, uh, you know, they are really struggling or we're really struggling. You know, man, our our marriage is is struggling. We're having a hard time. We need some help with that. Man, we're we're struggling to raise our kids. You know, we're we're struggling to raise our teenagers and and not kill them. And we're trying to survive that. Or, you know, man, we're we're struggling financially, you know, just to make ends meet, you know, and and to to pay the paychecks or, or you know, man, we're, we're struggling because we're a blended family. We have a lot of blended families today, and that presents its own set of challenges. You know, his kids, her kids, and different homes and things like that, and that can be a real challenge, and we need to be sensitive to that. Or we have a lot of single parents today say, you know, man, I'm, I'm struggling as a single parent. You know, I'm trying to raise my kids and love them and be the disciplinarian and, and bring home the paycheck and, and do all of that, and it can, it can be a challenge. So we're going to learn how to be blessed in our homes. If you haven't already take out your Bibles, your mobile devices, and turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. It's on page 392 if you're using one of the Bibles you picked up at the door when you came in. You're going to have to bear with me this morning. As you can tell, I'm a little bit under the weather today. Between the four uh, Easter services last weekend and two of Caleb's baseball games this week, I'm like done. So you guys got to kind of help me out this morning. What we're going to be looking at, where these blessings come from, is uh, in Matthew chapter 5. This is what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you maybe have heard that, and Jesus had gathered this multitude of people together, and he's going to give uh, the first of several sermons. Uh, It actually spans three chapters, chapters 5, 6, and 7, but we're really going to hone in on just the the first few verses uh, in this, the next few weeks, in what is called the Beatitudes. How many of you guys have heard of the Beatitudes? And we're going to look at actually four of the eight Beatitudes. The word Beatitude is a Latin word for blessed, and then the word blessed comes from the Greek word uh, makarios, and it means this, to be happy. Uh, to be fortunate, uh, to be blissful. Now, when we think about being blessed, happy, fortunate, blissful, a lot of times we tie it to material things. We say, well, if we have you know, a nice house, nice car, nice stuff, we're blessed. But do you believe that God has some blessings for us that money can't buy? That's, that's what we're looking at. We're talking about some, some spiritual blessings, some deep-seated blessings uh, that are far beyond just material um, blessings that we're, we're looking at today. Now, I want you to understand, I know we've called this, Bless This Home. And some of you maybe that are, are, are single or your students, you go, oh, well, this isn't for me, you know, so you're going to check out. But don't do that uh, because this is the best time to learn what a blessed home looks like. If one day you get married, you have a home, you'll be married again. Uh, but this is for everybody. When Jesus... 
uh, preached these beatitudes about blessings. He really wasn't even talking to families and homes. He was talking to individuals. And so we're kind of packaging this as bless this home. But we can all benefit from this because it all applies to our lives individually as well as to our homes and families as a whole. As we do this study the next four weeks, as most of you guys that come regularly know me, I'm, I'm going to be very open and honest with you guys, uh, very real, very transparent. Um, as we talk about the home, tell you some things that have worked in our home and some things that have not maybe worked in our home. Uh, I think sometimes people think, well, pastors' homes are perfect. You know, they got it all together because they're pastors and all that. You know, when our kids were little, especially when they would misbehave and we'd tell them to stop, you know, it's not like they would just uh, stop and break into a hymn and start worshiping. Okay, that did not happen in the Dameron home. It's not, I mean, Shelly and I have been married 21 years. We're going on 22 years of marriage. We have a, a wonderful marriage, wonderful relationship. We would say that our marriage and our home is blessed, uh, but we've had our fair share of discussions, we'll call them, in our home. We haven't always agreed on everything. I was reminded of this uh, just a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, we had a, a pretty heated discussion and debate over one of our pets. Um, it was over our little silky terrier named Lola, and there's a picture of her. Now, some of you are like, oh, no, do not give her any sympathy. She is a naughty dog, okay? Uh, Lola, she weighs like eight pounds. She's, uh, she's a few years old. Uh, but Lola, she thinks she's a little princess. And she, uh, Shelly, my wife, is definitely her favorite in the family. She follows her around everywhere. When she sits down, she's in her lap. She sleeps by her, all this stuff. You know, she's really won her over. But Lola thinks she's too good to go potty outside, especially when it's cold. And so we were having a little discussion about that and what are we going to do with Lola. And by the way, uh, she is uh, for sale if you'll come see me today after church. <laughs> Don't go see Shelly, but come see me. And we were having this discussion. What are we going to do with her? You know, this is not working. We've tried everything. And so we were having this fairly heated discussion and our front door was open and you know just the glass door was there and our neighbor who were really good friends you know and, and we borrow stuff from each other and all this and we're in the middle of this heated discussion and he knocks on our front door and, and, I'm, and we're like oh somebody's at the door shh, shh, shh. hi how are you doing <laughs> What can I do, you know? And I knew he had to have heard this debate going on. And so I, after he left, I texted him and I said, hey, man, sorry. You kind of came in on the middle of that heated discussion. It was about Lola and they've got dogs too and they understood. He goes, man, I'm just glad to know you guys are normal like the rest of us. And so we are. We all need to learn these things. And so what does it take to have a blessed home? What, what does that mean? Well, let's, let's read this in um, Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 1. It says, and seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, and here's, here comes these first of eight Beatitudes. What's the first word in verse 3? Help me out, church. Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, verse 6 is the one we're going to camp out on and, and unpack today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what, church? Righteousness. For they shall be filled. That's what we're going to focus on today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. This word righteous, righteousness, a good way to remember what this word means in your Bible, it starts with the word right. It means to be right with God. 
It means to be right with God or right living in God's eyes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be right with God. Because here's the result. They will be what? They'll be filled. They'll be satisfied. Unfortunately, too many homes today are not satisfied. They're, they're searching for something to satisfy. They're searching for something to fulfill them. And the scripture says, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those are the ones that will be filled. Now, our role in this verse is that we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what we're supposed to do and pursue. And God's role is when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, his role is he does what? He fills us. He satisfies us. So let me ask you this question. You have some blanks there in your notes. Maybe you'll write some things down. In your home, in your family, in your life, what do you hunger for? Spiritually, I mean, what do you hunger for? Physically, what, what do you pursue? What do you think satisfies you? What is the win for you? And I think if we're honest, if we're really honest and transparent, for some of us, and these are not bad things in and of themselves, but we, if we're honest, we'd say, well, what we, we as a family, what we hunger and thirst for is comfort. You know, we just want a comfortable home, a comfortable life. But what some of us would say, if we're honest, is, you know, what we hunger and thirst for is we work really hard all week so we can have fun on the weekend when it's not raining outside. You know, what's up with that? You know, we, we have fun. We enjoy life. We work hard so we can have fun. We can enjoy life. If, if we're really honest, some would say, if we're really honest, you know, in our family, in our home, we hunger and thirst for our image. You know, we, we want a nice house, and we want the best yard in the neighborhood, and we want a nice car, and it's important to us as a family what other people think of us and, and our image. If we're honest, some would say, what I hunger and thirst for is, you know, I want people to like me. I want to be popular. You know, I wake up, and I check my Facebook likes every day, and when they, you know, when they go up, you know, when I have more Facebook friends, you know, yes, that, that gets me. I mean, what's the win for you? What's the win for your family? What are you pursuing? And the truth is, most of us are pursuing many things above God. Some good, we're pursuing some things, they're not all bad, but are we pursuing righteousness? Are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Because that is when we'll be what? Blessed. And that is when we will be filled. So, what do we do when we are hungering and thirsting for the wrong things? Things that will ultimately not satisfy and fill us. What do we do when we realize we have an appetite for things that don't really satisfy us individually and our families and our homes? What do we do? Well, here's one thing we need to do. We need to change our appetite. Change our appetite. Um, a couple of years ago, few years ago, I won't add them up, I turned 40. And uh, when I turned 40, I don't know if Shelly started washing my clothes differently. Um, and, or, and, and she's tricking me like with the mirror. When I would look in the mirror, I'm like, you know, things are not fitting quite like they used to. And things aren't quite looking like they used to. And I realized I got to start being a little more proactive with my appetite and the things I'm eating and exercising. So I started exercising again regularly and I started watching what I eat. And I love french fries. Anybody else with me? I love french fries. And I love fried food, fried chicken, fried fish. If it's fried, I like it. But my body does not like it. It is not good for me. And so I decided to try to cut out most 
fried foods. You know, I mean, what's a hamburger without french fries? I mean, that's like a sin. But I, I just knew I got to do something different. And so I started, I stopped for a while eating all fried, fried foods. And then I noticed I was feeling better. I was looking a little bit better. And I mean, I was liking the results, but it was really hard at first because I missed french fries. But I noticed my appetite started changing. And then, you know, after, you know, losing some weight like I wanted to, I lost about 15 pounds and I was ma- maintaining that. I was feeling pretty good. I, every once in a while, I'd treat myself. And I would have some, you no, know, usually what I would do is like, you know, we'd go to Chick-fil-A as a family and I wouldn't order the fries, but I'd, I'd beg for a couple of fries for my kids. You know, can you give me two from you and two from you? Like, Dad! And so I would, I would just take a few fries. I still do this sometimes. And I'll eat the fries. But you know what I've noticed? I don't even like them that much anymore. They, I, I can't eat very many of them. They, I, I feel, you know, they're kind of greasy and I feel really full. And, 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 and what has happened is my appetite has changed. And I like the results of it. Well, see, when we start hungering and thirsting for righteousness... And God starts filling us and satisfying us, and we like the results of that. You find yourself wanting more and more of God and the things of God, and less and less of the things of the world that do not satisfy. Amen? And we have to change our appetite, and we have to start hungering and thirsting to be right with God and righteousness, and then we'll be filled, and then we'll be blessed, and we'll be satisfied. So if that's what Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, why don't more families and individuals hunger and thirst for righteousness? Why aren't more families blessed? Well, let me tell you a couple of things uh, that do and don't work. What, What does and doesn't work? First of all, what doesn't work? Now, these are both two extremes. Anytime we go to extremes, they're usually things that don't work. Here's one thing that doesn't work, legalistic Christianity. So when you're talking about your family being blessed and being right with God, we're not talking about legalistic Christianity. This is where we reduce Christianity to do's and don'ts, can and can't, should and shouldn't. And some of you like me, you know what I'm talking about because you grew up in that type of environment, that type of church. If you know what I'm talking about, say yes. You know, it was all about the rules. You know, I I grew up in a church that, you know, if you didn't dress a certain way, you know, when you went to church, you weren't right with God. If you didn't listen to, you know, the certain kind of music, then you weren't right with God. I mean, I grew up in the 80s, man. There's some good 80s bands. I mean, like Journey and REO Speedwagon and Foreigner. But man, I grew up in a church that, I mean, that's the devil's music. I mean, you can't listen to that and be right with God. And it was rules, You know, rules, rules like homes that say we don't drink, cuss, or chew, or hang out with those who do. (laughs) Rules. And here's the problem with legalistic Christianity and why it doesn't work in our families and homes, and it doesn't work with our kids, and it doesn't work in our individual lives. Because rules without relationship always leads to rebellion. Is that true or what? It's absolutely true. If you try to parent your kids and all you do is a bunch of rules and you don't have a loving relationship with them, be ready for rebellion. And the same is true in our Christian life. If all we do in our Christian life is is a bunch of do's and don'ts and rules and there's no relationship with God, real loving relationship with God, it will lead to rebellion. And so, first of all, legalistic Christianity does not work. Let me give you another one that does not work, and that is lukewarm Christianity. And that's the other extreme from legalistic Christianity, and that's lukewarm Christianity. 
And that is believing in God, but living like we don't. In other words, we're Christian in name only. We say we're Christians, but you look at people's lives and there's nothing at all that looks like a Christian. Nothing at all that looks like what you find in the Bible. Lukewarm Christianity. And Jesus had something to say about lukewarm Christianity. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, he said this. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will what? Spit you out of my mouth. Jesus said, lukewarm Christianity? People just have Christian in name only, but there's no life at all that lines up with it? He says, that makes me want to spit you out, vomit you out. It makes him sick. Now, some of you are honestly asking yourself, well, am I lukewarm? Is my family lukewarm? Are we lukewarm Christians? Pastor Doug, can you tell me what that looks like? Can you, can you look at our family and tell me, you know, I, I, I'm not going to judge you and I'm not going to judge your family. And if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you that can tell you about these things. But let me just be transparent, honest for me and my home. And these are things that if, if these things are not happening or some things are happening, I, I, I would look at my home and say, we're becoming lukewarm as Christians. For instance, if in our home, we never pray together as a family about anything, if the only time we pray is when we go to church and we're sitting together and, and the pastor says, let's pray, I'd say I'm becoming a lukewarm Christian. And we're becoming a lukewarm home. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, well, we pray together every night for, for our meal. You know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, let's eat. No, I'm, not, I'm talking about real prayers. And it can be at a meal. You, know, you ask the kids, what's going on in your life? You know, and you're praying for things, you know, your, your kids and situations. If, if, if we're not praying for our church as a family, if we're not praying for people that need Christ as a family, and, and my, our kids' friends, if we, we never pray about real-life stuff, then I, I feel like we're becoming lukewarm. Um, if we never talk about the Bible in our home, if the only time my kids hear the Bible talked about is at church on Sunday, and, and, and that's it, for me, I think we're becoming lukewarm. You know, if I'm not saying, hey, I'm really excited about this message, and li listen to what I've been studying this week, or, or Shelly says, listen to what I've been uh, reading my Bible study, or our ladies' Bible study, or our kids, you know, talking about verses and what they mean. If we don't ever talk about God and his word, except on Sunday, I think we're being lukewarm. If we don't ever talk about sharing our faith, you know, with our kids' friends that need the Lord, or our neighbors that need Christ, and praying for them. If we don't ever do that, I think we're being lukewarm. If we don't ever talk about people's lives that are being changed and how awesome it is to see what God is doing, and we don't recognize that, I think we can become lukewarm. If we don't ever recognize that when good things happen in our homes and our lives, if we don't recognize that as the hand of God, that if we're just like, oh, that was cool, and we're not like, no, that was God's blessing, and we don't recognize that as the blessings of God, because the Bible says every good and perfect gift is from above. If we just don't recognize that and we think life is just about coincidences and chances and situations, then I think that's lukewarm. That, that's how I look at it in my home. So legalistic Christianity and lukewarm Christianity simply don't work. Two extremes. Does that make sense? Say yes. Okay, so what does work? What does work? Let me share with you a thought that's going to be our main thought for the next four weeks. It involves two statements. Now, when I read these two statements in just a moment and you put them in your notes, you're, some of you are going to think, well, those are the same. They sound the same. They're, they're very closely related, but one is very different than the other, and it's very profound. 
And it's really what we're talking about and what does work, okay? I'm going to let you write it down and then we're going to say it together. Here's the thought. We are not just a Christian home. We are a Christ-centered home. Let me say that again. We want to approach being a blessed home in the fact that we're not just a Christian home. We are a Christ-centered home. Do you see the difference? Say yes. Let's say that together because this is so good and so important and this is what works and then we'll unpack it and I'll explain this a little bit. But let's say it together. We are not just, okay, I said let's say it together. Not two or three of you, okay? We are not just a Christian home. We are a Christ-centered home. In other words, God is not just part of our life. He's at the center of our life. He's at the center of our family. You see, when God is just a part of our life, he's not at the heart of our life. And he wants to be at the heart of our life. 80% of Americans claim to be Christian. Eight out of 10 homes in America have the label Christian home. But they can't be a Christ-centered home. Because if they are all, if 80% of American homes and people are Christ-centered Would you all agree that this country would look much differently than what it looks like? Much different. Marriages would look different. Parenting would look different. Finances would look different. Morality would look different. It's not just about claiming the name of Christ as a label and a name. We're not just a Christian home. We want to be a Christ centered home a home that hungers and thirsts for righteousness and that's how we'll be blessed and that's how we'll be filled not just in name only you see you can call yourself a duck and you can quack like a duck but unless you fly and lay eggs you're not a duck you're just a weird quacking person it's not about name only Uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 6, Jesus didn't say, he didn't say, blessed are those who believe in Jesus when it's convenient. Blessed are those who follow Jesus when they need help, they need a bailout. No, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. There's an appetite for righteousness, right living, being right with God in our individual lives and in our homes and in our families. There's a man in the Bible that you probably heard his name. His name is David. And David, the Bible says, the only person that God said this about in the Bible was a man after God's own what? Heart. Now, Now what encourages me about David is David wasn't perfect. David made some pretty big mistakes in his life. But the driving desire of his life was to please God and to have a heart for God and to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And listen to what, just one of many Psalms, what David said in Psalm 63.1. He said, oh God, you are my God. Personal. I earnestly search for you. Not casually, not every once in a while. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. That sounds like a man who is hungering and thirsting for righteousness so that he can be filled. God was not a casual part of his life. He, he didn't want to just be a Christian home. He wanted to be a Christ-centered home. If we were to read this verse as a family, it would sound like this. Oh God, you are our God as a family. We earnestly search for you. Our soul thirsts for you. Our whole family longs for you. 
in this parched and weary land where there is no water. You know, isn't it silly when you think about it, the things that we sometimes put in place of God? If we're really honest. I mean, can you imagine if this verse read, Oh, popularity, you are my God. Popularity, I earnestly search for you and my soul thirsts for popularity. I mean, that's silly. Isn't that, it's ridiculous. You know, oh, new car, you are my God. My butt earnestly searches for leather seats and butt warmers. I mean, that just sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It just sounds silly. Oh, sports team, you are my God. I earnestly search for a championship. How about those abs? Now listen, I love sports as much as anybody. I'm a huge sports fan. I'm not a huge hockey follower, but I am right now. I stayed up late last night. On, there's not much that keeps me up late on a Saturday night before Sunday services, and I couldn't go to bed. I wanted to see what happened in the Avs game, and they pulled it off again. And that, oh, see, yeah, y'all excited about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll barely amen for God. But, oh, Avs, yeah, 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 yeah. Broncos, yeah, 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 yeah. And listen, there's nothing wrong with sports. There's nothing to get excited about that. But listen, can we be honest? Sports teams are great and they're fun to follow and it's great when they win. But they make lousy gods. Because they let us down all the time. (laughs) We don't have to look very far back to be reminded of that. And it's silly to think that popularity or sports or material possessions that that would be our God, but the truth is, that's how so many of us live. We would not say that, but that's how we live our lives. Hungering and thirsting for those things that never fully satisfy. And then we wonder why we feel empty. We wonder why our home isn't filled and it isn't blessed. Instead of blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those are the homes and the people who will be filled. Let me tell you something else that we've seen in our home that works, that really works. You have it in your notes. If you really want your family to be blessed and you want your family to hunger and thirst for righteousness, let me give you something very practical that works. Help your family see God as loving, approachable, and involved. Help your family see God as loving, approachable and involved, loving that he loves us. He wants a relationship with us. He died for us. He's not just an impersonal God sitting on a throne that maybe one day we'll see, that he's involved in our life, that he's approachable, that we can go to him anytime, anywhere, for anything, and that he's involved. He cares about the details of our life. Amen, church? Help your family, your kids see God in that way. That we have a God who is loving, approachable, and involved. Our kids are um, now in their latter teen years. Uh, Our son Caleb is 18. He'll be graduating from Prairie View High School right here in about four weeks. And I can't talk much about that or I'll lose it. I'm not ready. Our daughter is 16, going on 17, going on 21, something like that. And uh, we're now, as parents, finding out if we did anything right or not. And uh, one of our desires, sorry, 
for our family has always been for our kids, especially growing up in a pastor's home, is that our kids would own their own faith. That Jesus would be real to them. Not because mom and dad and dad's a pastor, but that God would be real to them, that he would be approachable and be seen as loving and involved in their lives. And every once in a while, you get a glimpse that they got it. And uh, I know there's pros and cons to social media, especially when it comes to teenagers. But every once in a while, my kids put something on social media that just makes my heart swell. And lets me know they got it. And you, some of you are thinking, do, do you stalk your teenager's social media? Absolutely. <laughs> Regularly. And uh, I, I wanted to share something that I came across in the last couple of weeks. Um, this is our daughter, Caitlin. We call her Missy. Um, she posted this on Facebook um, about a week ago. And... I asked her, why did you post this? And she said, well, I was just reading through the Bible and I, I knew Easter was coming up and I wanted to read the Easter story again for myself. And she read the Easter story and what Jesus did for her and she took this picture and these three candles and I know it's a little hard to read, but I'll read it to you. It says, she says, I lit three candles for Jesus. 2,000 years ago on this day, he died on the cross for our sins. Three days from now, he rose from the dead in remembrance. And she put that on Facebook on her own. No, I mean, can we praise God for that? Nobody asked her to. Nobody told her to. Nobody said, hey, go read, the, go read the Easter story. She just did it because she's owning her faith for herself. Um, our son, Caleb, um, I know I've mentioned to you guys before, he plays on the varsity baseball team, has for four years here at Prairie View High School. And if you'll allow me for just a moment, I'm going to brag on, on my kids. Um, you know, I have parents brag on their kids to me sometimes, you know, personally or on Facebook, and then they apologize for it. I don't think as parents, we ever need to apologize for bragging on our kids. I just don't. I, I, everybody needs somebody that thinks they're the best. And so I'm going to brag on my kids for just a minute. And uh, Caleb, uh, he's in his senior year. <laughs> I got to really be careful. And um, he, um, made, he, one of his goals is to lead the state in stolen bases. Um, he was in the top 10 three years ago. He was in the top uh, five last year. And uh, we've been checking the stats. And, uh, and just a couple of weeks ago, we found out uh, that Caleb is right now currently the state 5A stolen base leader for the entire state of Colorado. He's about five stolen bases in front of, of everybody else. Um, he has more stolen bases right now than um, anyone had in a full season. We still have some games left in the last five years. Um, he's trying to get the all-time Colorado 5A state stolen base record at 29. He's at 22 right now, and the coaches think he's got a good shot at it. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But, but here's what I want you to know. After Caleb found out he was leading the state in stolen bases, this is what he tweeted on Twitter. He said, all glory to God in the heavens. Everything I do is for him and through him only. He tweeted that. And then uh, last week, um, we played our, our rival school, Brighton. It was the big Brighton Prairie View game. We came so close. 
But Brighton won two to one. It was an incredible baseball game. It was an amazing uh, game, really it was, uh, for both teams. And about an hour before that game, his biggest game of his senior year, um, he, he, he put this, he tweeted this. And this is his life verse he chose on his own, 2 Samuel 22, 33. And he, he puts it up. He puts it on his hat and his gloves and everything. He said, it is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. Nobody told him to do that. And that hasn't happened by accident. It's because we've tried to make God real. We haven't always got it right. But things like that are so encouraging to us. When you help your kids and your family see God as real, loving, approachable, and involved. It makes a huge difference. It works. Let, let me give you two. You say, okay, well, how, what does that look like? Okay, how do I, give me something real specific that I can do. I'm going to give you two just real simple things that we've done, and I believe you guys can do. will help you to, to help your family, your kids, hunger and thirst for righteousness, and put these into practice. Two ways to create a hunger and thirst for God. Number one, involve God in your daily conversations in your home. Involve God in your daily conversations. I love this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. It says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. It's about a real relationship with God. And you must commit yourself. How, church? Wholeheartedly. Everybody say wholeheartedly wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Now watch this. Here's where the kids in the, in the home come in. Repeat them again and again to who? Your children. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, not just on Sunday at church, and when you are on the road, when you're on vacation, when you're out and about town, when you're going to bed at night, when you're getting up in the morning, tie them to your hands, wear them on your forehead as reminders, write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Talking about God, involving God in your daily conversations with your kids at all times. How, how, do, how do I do that? When, when great things, when cool things happen in your life, you know, dad gets a raise, you get to go on vacation, you get a new home, whatever. When something good happens in your home, just don't say, oh, wasn't that cool? Wasn't that neat? Say, look how God blessed us. Look what God did for us. Recognize that, that that is God at work in our home. This is an act, it's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. This is the blessing of God. You know, when you're driving around, I mean, this is easy for us, y'all. We live in Colorado. Colorado, one of the most beautiful states in the nation. And when we drive out of our home and God has put a fresh dusting of snow on those mountains and the sun is coming up or in the evening when it's setting and you just go, wow, isn't that cool? Wow, look at that. Don't just say, wow, isn't that neat? Wow, isn't that cool? Just say to your kids, man, God is showing off today. Look, God is the best artist Ever. God made those mountains. God sent that snow. We, we use that a lot with our kids. God, look what God did. God, God is showing off. Talk about God in your daily conversations. Involve him. Make him real. Your kids will get it. They will. They'll pick up on it. In your marriage, when you, you have a decision for your marriage or your home, don't just get a piece of paper out and write all the pros and cons. Also say, well, let, okay, here's pros and cons, but what does God want us to do? Let's pray about this together. Let's talk about it. Let's see what God will do. Shelly and I never make a major decision in our home that we don't take some time to pray about it. We don't make a major purchase that we don't pray about it. 
and see what, where, where God is. Involve God in your daily life and your daily conversations. And when you do that, church, you're reminding yourself and your family, we're not just a Christian home. We are a Christ-centered home. And it makes all the difference in the world. Number one, involve God in your daily conversations. Number two, make church non-negotiable. Make going to church as a family a priority. Hebrews 10, 25 says, and let us not neglect our meeting together. That comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which is where we get our word church. Let us not neglect going to church as a family, as some people do, but rather encouraging one another, especially now that the day of his returning is drawing near. Put God first. A, a tangible way as a family you can put God first is by making church a priority. And I know many of you are doing that. Most of you are doing that. Keep doing that. Don't make church, well, if we don't have anything better to do and nothing else is going on, let's go to church today. Ask yourself, last year, were you at church more than you were gone from church? You know if it was a priority or not. Your kids know if it was a priority or not. Put, it's a tangible way as a family to say, we're going to put God first on the first day of the week. Because contrary to popular belief, the first day of the week is not Monday. The first day of the week is Sunday. Monday's the first day of the work week. And the first day of the week on Sunday morning, get up as a family. Go to church and say, listen, we're going to put God first. We're going to fellowship with other believers. We're going to worship together. We're going to be in God's word. We're going to serve together. We're going to give to God. We're going to make sure our kids are in Kidmo and Treehouse because we want them learning about God. If you don't, parents, I'm just trying to be real and honest with you guys. I love you guys. If you don't make it a priority in your kids' lives right now, don't expect them to make it a priority in their lives later. Don't. It won't happen. They're watching. They're watching. I've been in full-time ministry, uh, vocational ministry, almost 25 years now. Ten years of that was spent in student ministry. And there's times that I get emails and, and I get Facebook posts from families of kids I used to parent. And they say, oh, pray for my kid. Now they're not even in church. And I think back to those families and I go, yeah, well, I remember you guys would show up about once every six weeks. What do you think you taught them? It's no surprise. I believe that all of you here this morning, your heart's desire be, I want my kids to be in church. When they grow up, when, they have, when they're married, when they have families, I want them to be in church. I want my grandkids to be in church. Well, you're, you're, you're paving the way now. You're paving the way now how they're going to put God first. Another thing that was cool last weekend, we had four Easter services, Saturday night and three on Sunday. And by the way, if you haven't heard, uh, man, God blessed us amazingly. We had over 50 people uh, in four services that put their faith and trust in Christ. And almost 2,500 people attended four services at Orchard Church on Easter Sunday. We praise God for that. We praise God for that. And uh, I remember we were getting ready for service on Saturday night, and both my kids were getting ready, and Caleb was coming over early to help set up, and, and Caitlin was getting ready for service, and I said, well, are you going to go tomorrow too? And, and, and Caitlin was like, yeah, I'm going to go tomorrow too. And I'm like, well, honey, you don't have to go to all the services. And she said, I know. She goes, I want to. I want to. I want to be there. Because our kids have watched this church grow from four people to 2,500 people. They've watched life after life after life after life after life be changed by the power of Jesus Christ. And they know how big Easter is and they were like, I don't want to miss it. I want to be there. I want to experience it. So how do we create a hunger and thirst for, for God, for righteousness? We involve God in our daily conversations. We make church a priority, a non-negotiable. Simple. A couple of simple things. 
as we close, let me share a couple of verses. Matthew 6, says this, but seek, what's the next word, church? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things shall be added to you. It's amazing how things fall into place in our individual lives and our families when we put God first, when we seek him first, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness first, and then we will be filled. It's saying the same thing again. Some of you are here today, you say, you don't know. You don't know how messed up we are. You don't know how messed up our families. You don't, you don't know what, how bad it is. And you're right. For some of you, I don't. But here's what I do know. When this book makes a promise, you can count on it. And Jesus didn't say, you might be blessed, you may be blessed. He says, blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. I believe with all my heart, you can have what God wants you to have in your life and your family's life. You can have it if you pursue him. If you change your appetite, if you hunger and thirst for it, let's stop making excuses and let's just start applying what God's word says, amen? And let me just say this, and I'll just say it quickly because it's gonna hurt. It starts with you, men. Some of you men, it's time to get off your butts and start leading spiritually in your homes and quit making excuses. Did he just say, yes, I did. It starts with you. Set the tone for your family to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I love what Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15. Joshua said, choose today. We can't change yesterday, last week, last month, wherever your family's been. We can't change that, but we can choose today. Choose today whom you will serve, Joshua said. But for for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. He made a choice. He made a choice. I ask you this morning, What's your choice? Are you going to be a a Christian home or a Christ-centered home? Are you going to lead your family to hunger and thirst for righteousness so that you will be blessed and you will be filled? The choice is yours. Choose today. Today. Would you bow your heads with me with heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment? If you're here today and as a believer, you'd say, I I want our family to be blessed. I want to make sure we hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want to make sure we're filled by the Lord. I don't want to just be a Christian home. I want to have a Christ-centered home. If God has spoken to you in that way, and I can pray for you that you would pursue that, would you lift up your hand all across the auditorium? Would you slip up your hand for prayer? God bless you. Hands everywhere in every section. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for all the believers today, God, that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness that we would pursue it, that we would be blessed and filled as we put your word into practice, that we would not just be a Christian home, but we would be a Christ-centered home, that we would make church a priority, that we would involve you in our daily conversations, that our kids and our family would see you as our God, as real, approachable, loving, and involved in the details of our life. And we would experience a blessed home. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today, and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, let me be real loving and honest with you. You you can't possibly have a Christ-centered home and a Christ-centered life until Christ is in your life and you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But here's the good news. You can make that decision right now where you sit today in this service. I want to lead you in a prayer of faith where you can pray from your heart to God's right now. You can say, Jesus, 
I'm tired of trying to do life on my own. I'm trying to, tired of trying to leave my family without you. I want you in my life. I want you in my home. The Bible says whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And I'll lead you in this prayer of faith. If you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you can do it right now where you sit. It's not a magic prayer. It's not magic words. But if you believe it, and you put faith behind it, and it comes from your heart, Jesus will come into your life today. So if you're ready to pray that prayer, would you pray that prayer with me? It goes like this. Jesus, I believe in you. Just say those words to Jesus and mean it. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me to forgive my sins. Jesus, come into my life today. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me and forgiving me. Thank you. If you just prayed that prayer of faith for the first time, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I want to pray for you personally. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. Would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor Doug, I just prayed that prayer of faith for the first time. I invited Jesus in my life, and I meant it. Would you pray for me that I would grow in my relationship with Jesus? Would you just slip up your hand right now? Just so I can say, God bless you in the back there. Yes, God bless you. Over here on my right, God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. Uh, yes, a young man down front. God bless you, sir, in the middle. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? I prayed that prayer of faith just now, and I meant it. Anyone else? Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for those who put their faith and trust in you today. I pray that they would grow in their relationship with you and that we as a church would help them in that growth and that they would have now a Christ-centered life and a Christ-centered home as they follow you the rest of their days of their life. God, I pray that as we go through this series that we would uh, have homes that are blessed, that you would bless our homes starting by hungering and thirsting for righteousness and that we would be filled. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we celebrate Decisions for Christ this morning? Amen. If you uh, made a decision to put your faith in Christ today, please let us know about that on your connection card and drop that in the offering bucket so we can continue to pray for you. Uh, if you're a first-time guest and you filled out your connection card, uh, thanks for being our guest today. Please drop that in the bucket so we can just send you a thank you note and uh, get to know you a little bit better by name. Uh, we appreciate that uh, today as well. Um, we're going to receive our gifts here in just a moment. Here's what else is going on around here at Orchard Church. Don't miss next week. Uh, bless this home. We'll talk about purity of heart and what that means. God bless you guys.